ready? Oh man, I was born ready. Are you ready, Jason? All right. Back. And I am Rico Lamit, the founder of Cannabis and Global Decentralized Media. And if you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific on Twitter Spaces, interactively. And we are audio only, piping in the drama to Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 32,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. And please support the show by subscribing and leaving us a review. Uh, today we are going to be talking about... A new interactive map um, claims to be helping people that can be confused about cannabis and DUI laws, federal and state to state. Uh, Republican senators warn about weed laced with fentanyl, despite studies debunking it as a myth. Kentuckians say it's time for legalization of medical marijuana um, during public forum in Frankfurt. Socially responsible cannabis companies, what investors should be looking for. Safe drug consumption sites decrease overdose risk and prevent public use. A study of uh, first sanctioned centers of New York, uh, New York City fines. Cannabis advocates rip Arizona's draft rules for social equity licenses and many, many more frosty nuggets. So, um, let's see here. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. But if you are out of line and you're not keeping it brief, you may just get the three, two, one. You just might get the get the bong there, the bong gong. So we are, um, since you are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, we are industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gathering collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Uh, professionals and cannabis curious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts shared and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and much, much more. This is Cannabis News by the people who make it. Uh, the thoughts and opinions expressed by the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis or its members. The statements are uh, made or in this State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance of any country, area, or territory, or any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The, sponsors, the sponsorships of State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the show. Let's get this party started, Jason. Are you ready? I was fucking born ready, Rico. Fuck yeah. Let's get it popping. So my story today, kicking it off, is coming directly from, let's see, lawandcrime.com. Confused about cannabis and DUI laws, an interactive map seeks to clarify just 
what you can and cannot do. Whether we want to admit it or not, the vast majority of us has driven under the influence. One thing that's remained cloudy is what exactly the rules are for driving under the influence of THC. Laws vary from municipality to municipality and uh, on how to identify laws of intoxic uh, levels of intoxication. And there's no real way to measure equitably how high someone is. So while it's pretty, pretty much always a bad idea to legally, uh, legally to spark up before or while driving, the least you could do is manage the blowback risk by knowing what the laws are before you hit the gas, literally or figuratively. The National Alliance to Stop Impaired Driving is an organization run by Responsibility.org um, aiming to uh, eliminate impaired driving through uh, DUI system reform by enhancing DUI detection and data. They recently released a user-friendly online tool um, identifying state by state what drivers can and cannot do locally before driving impaired. And for the first time with any tool like this, cannabis laws are included across the board. Uh, per the article, the tool is designed to, uh, with the hope that it will help drivers, road safety advocates, and prosecutors navigate the cannabis DUI landscape easily. According to NASID Director Darren Grundle, Grundle uh, road safety experts, prosecutors, and lawyers had to spend hours going through different databases, legal codes on a state and federal level, and countless resources on the internet to understand even what the fuck cannabis DUI statutes are. Uh, for a, a single state if you had if you actually head over hit the link and head over to the website um, You just can get a snapshot of all um, statutes governing cannabis and DUI for um, Any state or territory that you are in with just a few clicks the UX designers say that the goal was to solve a problem for constantly changing cannabis and impaired and dry uh, impaired driving laws so that you can very widely uh, that can vary widely, making getting on top of cannabis DUI legal landscape an elusive task for regulators, safety advocates, and other entities. Uh, the tool provides an overview of state-specific laws and other resources to help users get detailed information on statutes governing cannabis and DUI, recent enacted bills, ju uh, judicial de decisions, website pages, etc., um, and other data on DUI and underage cannabis use. On that last point, I have to point out uh, myself. I'm a little wary because there's no filter as to where they're getting the information or these articles from. So it may be just another portal into the reefer madness realm of bullshit. But I digress. Uh, without driving too deep into this fluff piece on this tool, um, I thought it was important to cover this today because let's face it, summertime, hot as hell, traffic sucks, and many of us will be smoking and driving at one point. Just make sure you guys are safe out there and know the rules of the game before you get on the field. I think a tool like this will be um, a lot more useful as an app rather than having to go to their website, but it's still a decent um, opportunity for quick facts on what you can and can't do from state to state and what consequences you'll be facing should you get caught. This is Rico Lamit, dopest dad on the street for the State of Cannabis News Hour, and um, I choose not to smoke and drive, um, especially because I have a, a, a little one in the back seat. but um, I know I'll probably be in a situation at some point this summer. And um, I'll probably be uh, hitting up this website to make sure that I'm, I'm protected, too, at least outside of California. Looking forward to hearing the rest of the team and what they, thought, uh, what they think about this DUIs and driving tool. I mean, the number one thing is to never admit anything. You know, do not discuss your day. Do not tell them fucking shit because whatever you do tell them, they are going to use against you. Facts are like uh, what Mark Wasserman said. What, what did he say again, Jason? Know the script, bro. Know the script. That's all it is, bro. Know the script. It's very easy. Do we need to go over it, Rico? I think so. I've, I've a lapse of memory because CTE from uh, college football and everything. 
when the officer pulls you over, you ask them if you're being arrested or being detained. So um, what do you do next? When, when he asks you, when he asks you questions as far as what you're doing, where you're going and whatnot, you tell them that I'm not discussing my day. And in the event of him saying that you are arrested, then you invoke the fifth and shut the fuck up. Big shout out to Mark Wasserman, <laughs> Pop Brothers-in-Law, a little bit of that. Um, this is not a sponsored program by them, but it's very, very sound, sage advice from them to shut the fuck up. If you can call your lawyer, call your lawyer. Um, but you do hold the right uh, to remain silent. And um, especially if you're using cannabis, like, don't do it. You're probably going to say something you don't, you're going to regret later on. Anybody else want to comment on this one? No. Let's keep this party moving. Up next, he's the longest continuously operating uh, retailer in the industry with an affinity for the best beat, best weed in the world, identification and eradication of boof worldwide in our very own Kaiser Brose. Known in Detroit as White Gucci, London as the boof free bloke, and down in Mar-a-Lago, he is Gucci Blanco. Coming to the stage next, the ivory to my ebony, Mr. Jason Beck. What do you have for us today, my man? which I'm sad to say that uh, they, they messed up on this messaging, but I think overall it's a common message. Um, I did post the actual um, public message, whatever you call it, um, public sentiment, whatever the hell it is. Uh, commercial is in the Jumbotron on Twitter, so you can feel free to click on that tweet and see the full video if you'd like to yourself. But nonetheless, Republican senators warn about weed laced with fentanyl despite studies debunking it as a myth. Uh, state, labs have, state lab tests have repeatedly disproven police claims of marijuana being contaminated with the opiate, according to a six-month investigation. Looks like Texas Governor Greg Abbott isn't the only Republican ginning up concern about fentanyl. Last week, the Senate's GOP uh, doctor's caucus released a video warning of a very real dangers of this powerful synthetic opiate. In it, the, the, the caucus membership, which includes Kansas, Rogers Marshall, Kennedy's Rand Paul, and Louisiana's Bill Cassidy, among other medical professionals in the Senate, warns that the drug kills 200 people daily in the United States. Sounds reasonable so far. Fentanyl is bad news, but nonetheless. However, it lumps cannabis into the list of drugs regularly laced with a substance as first reported by Benzita. The problem there, the financial... Uh, the financial media company points out is that recent research suggests that that is just simply not the case. Cannabis website lately last month published the results of a six-month investigation into reports of fentanyl-laced weed and declared them a myth. State lab tests have repeatedly disproven police claims of marijuana being contaminated with opiate, according to the site, and fentanyl traces have only been found in one cannabis sample in the U.S. The story also notes, and we actually covered that on the state of cannabis, where um, it was actually, uh, uh, they were rolling up some weed and some fentanyl and it managed to get into there. So there is no lacing of fentanyl in cannabis supply throughout the supply chain, whether you're on the illicit market or the regulated market. The lie spreads from these three sources, faulty field drug testing kits, police departments incentivized to hide local fear, and reporters who fail to question, investigate, or follow up on police claims, legally editor Calvin Stoll wrote. And separately, the medical site 
Web MD recently posted a piece on debunking the myth that weed is regularly laced with fentanyl and that the contaminated pot has caused fatalities. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, fentanyl laced weed is just nothing more but fake news. And on this report, um, or on the video, I watched the whole, I watched the whole video. There is one uh, senator that lists all the drugs. This is a majority uh, PSA for um, for uh, stopping fentanyl overall. But there is one senator that lists a bunch of drugs, and he did list marijuana in one. So we do need to get our senators in line and hold them accountable and make sure that the messaging that they're sending is true and positive. Jason Becker, 44, for State of yeah, this needs to stop like immediately. It's gone all the way to the top, and you have like U.S. senators putting out this this misinformation and disinformation. I mean, it's not really a surprise that it's coming. Um, that disinformation from the top down is coming from uh, Republican senators, and um, this is me coming from a, a point where I don't like Democratic senators either. Um, but we got to push back on this. We got to be like really, really loud about pushing back on this bullshit and. Um, People are going to get hurt because of this and people are going to get um, uh, people are go going to not be able to access life saving medicine because of a bunch of bullshit. Senators that are backed by big pharma, backed by big alcohol and big tobacco. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Felicia. For those who only get their news through podcasts or who may not bother to read or look at the um, uh, audio that um, Jason is speaking about, the drugs that you have to be concerned about that have that are being laced with fentanyl are oxycodone, Xanax, Adderall, and Percocet. These are easily found and look like the real deal on Snapchat and Instagram. So parents, you need to talk to your kids that it's no longer safe to accept drug you know, pills from other people because they could easily be laced with fentanyl. Hold on, we we have a little we have a little time right now. I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and, and play this. You you play this so, so people can hear what what what's actually. Being Hi, said. I'm Dr. Roger Marshall. I'm Dr. John Barrasso. I'm Senator and Dr. Bill Cassidy. I'm Dr. John Bozeman. This is Rand Paul. I come to you today not only as a United States Senator, but as a physician concerned for the health and safety of our nation. Fentanyl is killing over 200 Americans each and every day. Unfortunately, many Americans who've died from an overdose didn't even know that they were taking the deadliest drug our nation has ever seen. They didn't know that the counterfeit pills of prescription drugs like Percocet, Oxycodone, Xanax, or Adderall are being laced with fentanyl. And illicit drugs like marijuana, heroin, and meth are being laced with fentanyl also. Most of these people who bought these illegal drugs didn't know the drug traffickers are selling counterfeit pills that are nearly identical to legitimate prescription medicine. And they didn't know that just one pill can kill. And they didn't know that a lethal dose of illicit fentanyl is equivalent to a few grains of salt, which can fit on the tip of a pencil. As doctors in the Senate, we know that fentanyl is harming our communities, tearing apart families. This epidemic is exploding. It's killing our fellow Americans at record rates. Never take any drug except those personally prescribed by your physician and filled by your pharmacist. Parents, teachers, please, please talk to your children before it's too late. Be honest and direct. Don't assume anything. By working together. By working together. By working together. By working together. 
by working together, we can make a difference and stop the drug traffickers that are driving addiction and poisoning our neighbors and children. <laughs> Rand Paul knows better than that. Rand Paul knows better than that bullshit. Come on, Rand Paul, of all people. Oh no, man, I don't know. Let's keep smoking the news, Jason. I do expect, I do expect much, much more, much, much more from those guys on that one. Real fucking talk. Nonetheless, nonetheless, you know. So, so, as time goes on, we just have to make sure that people know not to buy into the bullshit. But coming up next. She's an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis entertainment and that's right, psychedelics. Coming next to the stage is the founder of the cannabis blog and podcast, Shall We Tope, and our very own G.I. Jane. It's none other than Shalina Padoo. Thank you so much, Jason. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline is from WHAS 11 ABC News and WLKY News coming both out of Kentucky. And the headline reads, during a town hall meeting, Kentuckians say it's time for legalization of medical cannabis. A third meeting of the Medical Cannabis Advisory Committee was held in Frankfurt Tuesday evening, which brought out several passionate speakers who demanded cannabis be legalized. Governor Andy Bashir created the committee back in June to help advise him uh, on providing access to medical cannabis for Kentuckians who suffer from chronic pain and other medical conditions. The move comes as the governor weighs an executive order to provide access to medical cannabis. Carrie Harvey, the secretary of the Justice and Public Safety Cabinet and co-chair of the committee, told WLKY in June how much he believed an executive order could create access to medical cannabis. He stated, I've heard some of the debate about executive action, and frankly, we all know that executive power is not unlimited, but neither is it inconsiderable. However, some have questioned how well an executive order would stand up to a legal challenge or a change in administration after the 2023 uh, Gruber National uh, National, uh, Election. Uh, The committee has held town halls in eastern, northern, and central Kentucky. One speaker at the meeting said, I have an uncle who has brain surgery and is in the hospital right now, and I've done all that I can, and he's suffering greatly. Committee member and 502 hemp owner D.D. Taylor said the response has been overwhelmingly in support of legalization. Uh, we've had so many people come out and give their stories, and I get goose pimples about, uh, and I about want to cry when I think about what everybody has gone through and why they need medical cannabis in the state. Taylor said, "Army veteran David Royce lost his son to a drug overdose in 2020. It's something he believes may not have happened if his son had access to the medical cannabis. However, he said the war on drugs has affected everyone." He says, for the last 40 years, I've been calling for an end to this drug war because there's too many people in prison and there's too many people dying from this poison laced fentanyl on the streets of Kentucky and in, Mer- and in America. Let's not forget Kentucky is experiencing one of the worst opioid uh, epidemics due to physicians overprescribing Oxycontin that was marketed as non-addictive uh, as reported by news graphic from Georgetown, Kentucky. As such, Kentucky is now the epicenter of addiction. Not all lawmakers, however, believe that metal cannabis should be legalized. 
The bill had previously passed in the House but stalled in the Senate. In a statement, Senate President uh, Robert uh, Steiger said, well before the governor's creation of an advisory committee and statewide tour on the topic of medical cannabis, the legislator established the new research center at the University of Kentucky, committing $2 million to scientifically explore the conditions for which medical cannabis may be useful. The information that will be gathered by the research center is critical in the legislator's consideration of the issue, and I hope the governor will show more appreciation for the work professionals at the university are doing to equip us all with scientific data. However, Kentuckians who spoke up in Frankfurt said the time to legalize is now. It's an uphill battle, but we need to keep fighting to get it done, Roy said. The committee's final meeting is Monday at Hopkinsville Community College from 5.30 to 7 p.m. What are your thoughts on how Kentucky is handling legalization? My name is Shalina, and I'm reporting for the State of Kansas News Hour. What do you think, Rand Paul? I mean, fentanyl is just bad, though. We already we discussed fentanyl on the last one. You know, it's a big uh, problem in Kentucky. I mean, I, I, I don't, you know, come on. Hey, Shalina, I'm so glad that you brought this article up. And um, we have been doing a lot of work from an MM perspective. Um, our uh, state director there has been trying to work with lawmakers. And it's just really interesting how Kentucky led the way on the hemp side. However, from a legalization perspective, um, we are seeing just no medical program uh, stalling at best. And I think people are maybe concerned about cannibalizing the health industry. Sorry, I'll put myself on mute. Thank you for input on that, Roz. It's a good, it's a good point as well. Um, I hope that they get the medicine that they need and I hope it is, is, is a lot more wide uh, ranging than just medical too. But we'll see. Anybody else from Kentucky or that area want to pop in? What was that, Rico? I said anybody from that area, Kentucky, um, Ohio, or anything uh, out there, anywhere close to Kentucky, want to chime in on that one? Or do you have any uh, insight on that, Jason, on the medical movement in Kentucky? I mean, the medical movement is pretty strong in Kentucky right now. They've got a lot of momentum, and I wish them all the best. And I hope they can come up with some type of program that ultimately works for Kentuckians because it is desperately needed, especially with the high rate of, uh, of opioid overdoses that they have in that state. They're definitely needing some type of alternative, such as cannabis, to help alleviate that problem. Yeah, and, and they need less of their senators putting out PSAs about fentanyl-laced fucking cannabis. It's not helping the issue at all. Totally. I agree with you 100%. It doesn't help when you fucking gaslight the situation. It is seven minutes early for our gaslight. The alcohol level must be pretty damn strong in uh, Kentucky as well, right? All the, all the bourbon companies there, so that's I mean, another, the, another fight. The, the liquor lobby is strong no matter where you go. Christopher, not sure. in Kentucky. You know what I mean? I think probably the strongest lobbying arm in Kentucky though is going to be the Kentucky State Troopers, which is their their lobby, their largest uh, lobbying and probably the biggest prohibitionist when it comes to legalizing cannabis in Kentucky. Right, but um, but but to uh, Christopher's comment there, you know, uh, the Kentucky bourbon um, industry out there, you could only imagine how much pressure they're putting on um, the legislators 
to at least stave off like a, the, the quick passing of these laws until they can uh, figure out how to get their cut. Good. Open. That's all. That's all. I mean, you go to OpenSecrets.com. It says just, just go ahead and, and and find out how much money they're either given to the people, the powers that be. So you say you say you say that if you find it on the internet, it's true. Is that what you're telling me? OpenSecrets.com just links you to there to each of one of these um, um, legislators. Um, uh, it, it gives you a peek into their coffers, so you can see exactly who their biggest funders are. It's not about fact checking or anything like that. It's, it's just open source information. I've never, I've never been on open sources. Maybe that's because I don't have any open secrets. Oh, because you're, you're, you're not fucking, uh, you're not holding office. But all you have to do is, is like uh, go on OpenSecrets.org. I hold, I hold, I hold, I hold, I hold offices. I hold court. I do all kinds of shit. I hold a lot of shit. <laughs> Whatever. Dude. Are, you, are you holding? Are you holding right now? Holding this point in my hand. You ready to light that bitch up? Ah, uh, yeah. Let's keep smoking the news. How about that? How about that? So up next, let's see. Uh, 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 uh. Is Raz, uh, Raz, are you ready with yours? Are you in a space where you can read? Oh, yeah. She's a Florida-based international douse lady holding down head honcho duties for Ultimate Lifestyle brand Black Buddha Cannabis. But that ain't it. She's also maintained dual titles for six years as founder and CEO of Minorities for Medical Marijuana at the same damn time. Shout out to Pluto. Come to the stage next, Roz McCarthy. What you got for us? Hey, so happy to be here today, y'all. I'm in Boston today for the next couple of days working with our new team member here. So my my uh, my actual article is coming from the, the Dallas Observer, and it is Oklahoma bill could make it make its medical weed program accessible to uh, to, uh, to Texas. And so, if Oklahoma House Bill 2022 passes in the state Senate, medicinal cannabis will be just as accessible to Texas as legal gambling is. The bill would open up the state's medical leave program to residents from all 50 states. Under the current program, only people with medical licenses from other states qualify for the program. Additionally, the bill extends the length of a time of time a medical weed license is valid for 30 days to two years for non-residents. O- Oklahoma Representative Scott Fitgatter, who Gator, who filed the bill, told the Oklahoman, "There are patients out there that need longer opportunities, whether they have cancer or some other medical issue." So I felt it was necessary to just extend that out so they're, they're not having to constantly renew that license. To qualify, non-residents would need to get approved by an Oklahoma doctor and pay a 200 fee for a license that would have them to be approved by the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority. Um, the creator and chief editor of the Texas Cannabis Collective, a Fort Worth-based cannabis news site, said this could, be, could make medicinal weed available to millions more people. What you're going to see is very similar to the casino issue. It's almost coming to a point where as medical marijuana patient, the idea is, okay, well, if you live anywhere on the border of Texas, access is not going to be the issue. It's about enforcement. And if we can just end their arrest for marijuana possession, then we don't have to really, we don't really have to worry about medical marijuana program in Texas. As far as Texas marijuana fans are concerned, it would be a good thing in Oklahoma is close, especially to North Texas and the state's medical weed program as far ahead of Texas. Um, in 2015, Governor Greg Abbott signed the Texas Compassionate Use Act, um, allowing some qualifying patients to access cannabis with 10% or more CBD, but no THC. Um, so it also allows regulated businesses to cultivate, process, and distribute low THC cannabis 
to certain patients. It was later expanded to include more qualifying positions, but the harvest that is still one of the most restrictive in the country for both industry and the patients. Texas has only three licensed dispensaries overseen by the Department of Public Safety, and uh, the Harry says dispensaries are already plentiful in Oklahoma. The state has more dispensaries than any other, according to the Oklahoma City NBC affiliate. The state has over 10,000 active licenses for dispensaries, growers, and processors. The Texas authority, uh, authorized cannabis is only in oil form, and to get and to get it, patients must be enrolled in the Texas Compassionate Use Registry, and treatment has to be prescribed by a doctor who's also in the registry. And the Zampari said that it's a very long process. So as we wrap up this particular article, what I just what was interesting for me is is that I think reciprocity and have the state that makes it regardless of wherever you are in any of the fifty states, if you qualify, you're able to get your license and you're able to get your card. Um, and especially Texas being the third largest state in the union, um, it's kind of unconscionable that there's only like two dispensaries in the whole state of Texas, and they're having to go outside of Texas to go to Oklahoma to be able to have um, you know the medicine for patients and not only for the general public. I'm Roz McCarthy. I signed off for the State of Cannabis News Hour. We'd love to hear your thoughts on Oklahoma and their um, their idea of making weed available to Texas. Well, I mean, I don't understand how Oklahoma is going to make it available to Texas and, and without going adult use, but you can also still always drive to New Mexico if you're in Texas, another another neighboring border state that yep. adult use cannabis available. I, I think I think Jason, your um your point is real valid, and I think the border states around Texas they have to. I mean, you have Louisiana, which is kind of restricted in its own state, but you know what? I'm really bullish on New Mexico, and I think if you're in Texas and if you border that state, it would be nice to see reciprocity where you're able to um you know um have meet with a doctor if you qualify, you know get your card, and you know honestly we just need to have adult use across the board. But we do have um, Texas being one of the most restrictive in the whole entire country, and it's the largest. It's one of the largest states, and so I just think it's kind of it's just a, a travesty that we're um, still having this conversation in 2022. You're not going to see reciprocity in Texas. Um, I, don't, I don't see that. I don't see that coming. I don't see it happening even in New Mexico, especially since they have adult use and they, it's easy for them to pass off and say, "Hey, hey which one you want to over? You come to U.S. state and purchase." Right. 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 I understand. But even, but even though you have states that have adult use, I will tell you that there are some people and marginalized people in marginalized communities that see even the cost to get a uh, to get your um, medical card, especially if you're using for a medical reason, it gives them comfort. And remember, guys, we're not just talking about the people that know, you know, that have been smoking, consuming, they know what they want to purchase. We have a whole pie of 80% of the population that still has not been introduced to this plan, and so for them their entry into being able to start consuming and using this plant may be through a medical conversation. And I know we got Dr. Felicio on, and she might want to weigh in on how we cannot allow our medical programs just to fade away in the dust. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the issue with adult use. Uh, a lot of times, most of the products start moving toward high THC only and leaving the medical patients out in the, the dust with little to choose from. Uh, medical patients need a wide variety of um, cannabinoids and different ratios. They don't, they don't necessarily just need uh, THC, high THC. So that's one concern. Absolutely. So you guys watch, I mean, look at Oklahoma has 10,000 licenses 
poor state where the population is only five million per capita, the most in the whole entire union. So um, it's a very, very competitive marketplace. However, you know, I give them kudos for creating an opportunity where people don't have to, you know, literally at this point, Oklahoma just needs to go adult use and call it a day. But I don't want to, you know, again, forget about the medical market and how important that is. Derek from Louisiana said, ain't nothing popping off in Louisiana. <laughs> I believe Leah from audience had a comment on this article. Please hop in, Leah. Good morning. Good morning, Jason. Uh, Rick, Roz, thank you so much, everyone. Um, I am in the state of Texas. I am registered as um, a teacup patient. Um, medical here is only 1% by weight for the medical program. And as Roz stated, there are only three um, manufacturers. Uh, for only tinctures, gummies, and lozenges at 1% for the medical program. Um, there is no reciprocity uh, with New Mexico or Oklahoma, and I, I would love reciprocity, but the um, outrageous um, prices that they are charging for a one-ounce bottle of medical 1% tincture. Um, Nixon is also a, a Texas registered medical patient. Um, I am registered in the CURT, as they call it, or um, to be his guardian to receive any of his um, tinctures. Like I said, it's only tinctures, gum, and lozenges. It's 1%, and there are patients out of time, and we just want the the right to have them grow and um, to, to um, have more dispensaries. Um, there is no medical flower here. Uh, so it is only tinctures and lozenges. So thank you so much for bringing that up, Ross. Because as as a Texan, it it, it is very very uh, challenging. I've had to go up against doctors, educate doctors, and um, for my son that's fighting brain cancer, um, it, it needs more than one percent. So this is Leah. It's great to see you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Many blessings. Nice to see you, Leah. Absolutely, absolutely. 100. If there is, every state that comes, every state that comes online, there should not be this kind of like, we're not going to have flour. There is a, a reason and a rationale and a purpose for flour as well as when it comes to teachers and other different delivery systems. So hang in there, Leo. God bless you and your son and all the Texans out there. Um, stay strong. That's to mention, too, the real reason for flour for all these municipalities should be one of the, 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 tax, the tax money that they're going to generate from that. Because if you look at all of these states, that have some type of uh, flour available that's on average is 60% of sales across the board in their state. Yep, yep. I just did some numbers. Um, There's one of the groups that we'll be working with, with Black Luda, and, and for the state of Pennsylvania, uh, this one um, um, cultivator did $550 million in a jar of flour, in flour um, in 2021. And so we know, um, you know, and they don't have any type of um, – gummies right now it's still remember Pennsylvania is still a medical state and so we know that um that that's an option that's a preferable option and um I will tell you this Leah and anybody else if you guys reach out to us um we have some language that you can start introducing going to your city council but also your state representative and saying hey we need to reform our medical program and here's some ideas and we have some ideas and some language that you guys can use and submit and um, some of your lawmakers um, hold them accountable. Yes, indeed. 
Is it is it about the time for that? What is it, Jason? What is it again? Just gaslight this motherfucker. Come on. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Canada's news hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Canada's or its members. The statements made in the State of Canada's news hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Canada's and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or who's expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Canada's news hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Canada's or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Canada's or any speaker. Let's keep smoking the news. Who we got next, Jason? Jason and Rico, and hello out there, Susan. My story today is uh, from Green Entrepreneur, socially responsible cannabis companies, what investors should look for. Uh, the author of the article is uh, Andrea Moorhart. Uh, she says that her story is about socially responsible investing, and she takes a point, point of view of the investor and asks a single question. If your company is socially responsible, is it profitable? Well, I don't know, is anyone buying cannabis companies and stocks or companies uh, because the company is profitable right now? I'm not so sure. But for many, the answer is probably no. So then the question becomes, can you get there? And what is the plan to stay profitable? And that's the key to this whole concept of socially responsible investing or corporate social responsibility is your company has to have a set of authentic values. It's, it, it bases its strategic strategic decisions on these values, and then it acts on these values every day. So I have to admit that I was a bit selfish thinking this story because I've been working on a place in this segment of marketing land called corporate social responsibility with a big brand in California that's vertically integrated. So next, uh, fancy marketing people, you know who you are. You know, some people will call them. ESG, environmental, social, and governance, and some people would call it, you know, three PL, triple bottom line, and the, the ones who call it people, profit, and planet. It's all pretty much the same thing. It's really about the intersection of business and branding, right? Or business strategy and branding. It's about making a statement about what your company stands for, is willing to invest in, and then really put your money where your mouth is and and act on those on those investments and those strategic ideas. Um, <clears throat> so the problem is. If you're a cannabis company, uh, you're in the crowded space. You're selling lots of other people's produce. There's the idea of strains is a little bit shaky. There are dozens of companies using the same delivery method at nearly the same price point. So, what else you got? You know, how else are you going to get people to buy from you? You've got to have your brand, and, and uh, it's got to be something that you really believe in, um, because people talk all, all all day long about being authentic. So, uh, brands that talk about being environmentally uh, conscious, for example, have to walk the walk. But the one thing that the one shortcoming I think of this article is that it's uh, it, it, when you stop the conversation at whether the company is profitable, you miss a whole uh, a whole wealth of potential for companies, and also it limits the idea of who the investors are. Right? We're not just talking about people that invest in stocks, people that even buy companies. We're not talking about those investors. I think that the investors in cannabis are all of us and, and all those uh, individuals and, and organizations that have an interest or an investment 
in Canada. So there's the big money people, obviously, but local municipalities, for example, are investing in cannabis companies if they choose to opt out uh, and are now reconsidering that because of all that sweet tax money that's uh, that their neighbors are getting, right? A company with a brand vision that includes environmental goals, equity goals, gender employment goals, community outreach programs, these are the brands that are likely to be favored by towns and cities that are hesitant to to uh, accept cannabis brands at all. At this level, corporate social responsibility matters a lot. State governments also, though, are seeking to decide whether to allow adult use. Well, we want them to because the opportunity is many times bigger for all of us as these states succeed. But if cannabis companies come in and say, well, we're just sort of rowdy cannabis people, we're confrontational, we sell pot and everything, well, uh, rather than we are good corporate citizens, well, that, that hurts us both. And additional, of course, we talk about this all the time here, federal government is seeking to get the votes in the House or the Senate that will cause legalization and normalization. And for all of us, what could be more important? All of us are fighting against uh, prohibition, reform madness, the war on drugs. We need to tell a different story about our industry. Therefore, last point is this, last word. We really want cannabis to have uh, cannabis companies to have a plan and a vision for CSR, ESG, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it has to make business sense, and it has to make common sense. And I'm done speaking. Christopher, do any of these companies, you name list a whole host of names, but do any of them actually call it what it really is? Uh-oh, you're not going to say it, are you? I am going to say it. It's, it's, it's two letters, bro. Stands Don't with say it. Stands with an S. Total bullshit. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not socialist at all. It's a. It's a bigger rent. It's a bigger rent concept. And, and in fact, you know, like your 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 shop, for example, uh, you know, has as real. It seems to me has real strong community values. For example, one hundred percent. Right. So so that's that's the brand position of, of you guys, right? And another one might be very environmental. They're on the waterfront. I don't know something like that. You know what I mean? But these values are important. Um, and, and I think all companies need to just acknowledge and, and uh, state what their values are, right? Well, I would, I would, you know, I would for most of these companies, Christopher, I, my answer was the correct one. Well, listen, what I, I, what I have a concern with this, this and, um, the article starting out about equating profitability with social impact, um, companies were not profitable even before this whole conversation about people playing and, and, um, and, um, you know, the, the whole ESG and social impact and things of that nature. So what I don't like is when they try to correlate, like if I have a social impact or if I'm trying to create an ESG um, um, program, that that's going to take away from the bottom line so much. The amount of money and resources spent towards that is nothing compared to the waste that we see between, you know, exaggerated, um, you know, um, salaries and, you know, with 280E not being able to write off business expenses. So to even make the statement that if I, if I choose to, have a strong, robust ESG, will that end up, you know, uh, diminishing my profitability? Those two should not be equated. It should be something that is, is, is centric to an organization. It should be started from the top down. It should be value um, that is um, that is that permeates throughout the whole entire culture of the organization and not um, and looked at as, you know, if we do this, we may uh, surrender, you know, um, our uh, ability to make profit and make our investors happy. I, I agree with you, Ross. And I wanted to ask Chris or, or Rico, what percentage of current investors do you think care about being socially responsible? Maybe Zero. maybe one percent, uh, one or two percent. Like, Zero. Like, Zero percent. All, all that matters is like, if 
all that matters is the money and uh, the claiming your stake in the largest stake possible to ride out the um, the mass exodus that we're going to see this year. People just uh, running out of money. So if you had enough and you were able to treat this marathon as a marathon and not a sprint, then you might be able to make it to the end. Or if you have enough money and you've been waiting on the sidelines, waiting for a bunch of people to tap out early and buy these uh, businesses pennies on the dollar, like you're going to be in a good position. Um, but I, I don't, I do, I do not think, I gotta be careful what I say right now because I have a couple of clients um, uh, that are involved in, in such issues, but I would not think that anybody uh, from an investor standpoint um, is going to be looking first at social issues because they're just not, the data does not support that social issues are really moving the needle when it comes to uh, sales and revenue um, on a broad scale. Um, public opinion is one thing, but a lot of people who worry about um, those issues, unfortunately, they're not buying from legal sources. So a lot of uh, the investors just they just don't care. They're giving people lip service for uh, PR reasons right now. But just like those black squares that we saw all over uh, Instagram uh, after George Floyd, I would, I would expect a lot of that to be gone, especially with the Republicans about to take over uh, Congress because they don't give a fuck about anybody's feelings. Well, I'm surprised there's so few. That, I'm surprised there's so few of us because I, I do care about making money. I do care about, you know, my fellow man and woman. So I, I I'm surprised there's just so few socially conscious well, investors. Are you an investor, Dr. Right. I'm not an accredited investor, but I do. And, 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 and Dr. Fleecy, you, you also have to um, um, look at the data um, as pre-pandemic. Um, uh, uh, black people specifically were less than four percent of uh ownership in the cannabis industry and the most recent update to that data is that we're now at less than two percent ownership in the industry so there's not a lot of people that look like us that have ownership in this industry and that number is getting smaller and smaller as inflation creeps up and the price of product continues to plummet yeah tupac from the Yo, yo, what's good? Can you guys hear me okay? Tupac is alive. Tupac is alive. Live with Barbados. Right, because other beaches are nice. People are chill. No one asks me for autographs. <laughs> what you got for us today, uh, Tupac? So I'm in the West Coast over here in uh, Portland. And we've been hella spoiled um, as far as weed and laws and all this other stuff. And I've been able to see the dust settle on a lot of these like, uh, efforts and ideas. And I work directly on um, media content creators. So I do a lot of marketing, a lot of videography, a lot of commercials, a lot of uh, workarounds for like how to advertise with the federal stuff. Like I've been doing this stuff for years and years and years. And uh, it's been dope and up here. I feel like I said I feel spoiled that we have all this stuff and I've been able to see the market kind of do its thing and everybody kind of try to make it do, do its thing. And uh, yeah, there's no one cares about social issues, but money is short. Right, no one cares because the social issues have been able to have a detrimental effect on some businesses by cancellation or whatever. But when it comes down to boosting, none of those social issues boost sales. Um, and in fact, a lot of companies are getting called out for their over corporatized view of their social issues and trying to turn it into a marketing ploy. So I would say, like, as far as companies go, like, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're out there making things, like, you can really make waves by, you know, becoming basically an icon so if a company's involved with you just by the name alone then they can say yeah look at, we're cool too we're chill too so that's that's the benefit there if you're an entrepreneur if you're out there pushing 
these agendas and pushing these, these things and systems and trying to get companies to become more conscious, they might take you on just to say we're associated with you. They're not going to change their policies or their, or their, their market or anything uh, to get around the social issue. they got to deal with so many things legally. they got to deal with money. So they can't just say, hey, this is how I feel. Sorry, board. I feel this way. We're going to do this. I mean, that's illegal. So, you know, like, assuming that social issues are going to rise and somehow be a top-down issue, no, not going to happen. Um, and then as far as, like, how people are losing the most amount of money, what I've seen, and how companies, I've seen so many farms, so many retailers, so many, uh, uh, you know, people doing, like, oils and stuff, right? So many of them fall. And the number one reason, and I know that we got us to every hammer, to a hammer everything in the mail, but the number one reason I found that people were going out, it wasn't because of the uh, predicted, like, things that could happen, like, oh, you got mites or power outage or we lost a yield or something like that. It's advertising. I saw so many companies throw thousands of dollars into little local temporary magazines that had a weekend on the front because they presented themselves as, like, a really high-end magazine. But they never did the ROI to find out that there's nobody's reading these magazines. So they completely, completely missed the social media aspect of it because they were afraid of getting their accounts taken down and all this stuff. They were they were completely missed using uh, positive PR video marketing to explain their mission statement as opposed to trying to, to tell it in a really lame uh, website or or shove uh, three paragraphs on their labels. I mean, there were so many companies that wasted ten thousand, twenty thousand, twenty-five thousand on marketing packages from slick dudes who were like, "We'll put your thing in here," and nothing came of it. Mm -hmm. So we're out here in this world, and like, the, you want to get your name, your brand, your stuff out there. You got, you got a shop, you got a, uh, a strain, you got anything, you got you go from glass. It doesn't matter. You got to make sure people know that, and then that's where you can take the time and take the five minutes to get a good narrator and I say, "Hey, we care about the people." And it's done. You know, one time it's done. And, like, people just miss that boat. So now what I'm hoping is that on the East Coast, the South, Midwest, as you guys are being ushered into this, you guys, you know, learn from that. And, and don't avoid all of the free ways you can market your company and explain all these principles and talk to your customers. Because to a point, yeah, investors are investors, but really your client and your customers, their belief in you, their ability to identify with your branding. You know what I mean? Get the graffiti, get the weird, you know, organics. So get that out of the marketing, get that out of the advertising, get that out of the uh, your, out of the, the, the view of the, of the consumer. They want to see high-end products presented like Pepsi. They want to know that when they buy their weed or when they buy their product, when they buy their t-shirt, that it's looked after, cared for, and, and it stands for what they want. So just don't miss the boat when it comes down to brand identity and to using these free ways of advertising for yourself. Love, uh, love it. Like I said, um, you know what I mean? So if you guys if you guys need any advice on any of this stuff, I'm, I, I pop into the space every once in a while and I hear people talk. And, and a lot of you guys are from the West Coast too. I'm sure you guys run businesses and, and you've been around the block as well. But as a native, as someone who's seen this this whole industry kind of the boom, right? The green rush, mm -hmm. and seeing it kind of balance out. Um, you guys, I mean, if you have any questions about what it was like over here, and hey, Tupac, thank you for for presenting all that information. And, and it's obvious that you want to see changes out here in these streets. And uh, if you could uh, shoot either me or Jason a DM, uh, we'll, we'll give people a link 
uh, to you. And so you can uh, tell your story. I'd love to have you on so you can tell a little bit about your story out in Portland, which is pretty much ground zero for activists uh, across the board in the U.S. And uh, we can talk about like, like raising more awareness around that and um, how we can. And, and, <laughs> that's dude. You're, you're talking about. Uh, uh, you're talking about um, uh, uh, Seattle. Seattle's where Chaz was, right? Oh my bad. Yeah. My bad. Come on, bro. Come on. That's racist. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But <laughs> just kidding. We have one more story left uh, coming up next. Our next correspondent. She is a New York City-based, 25-year board-certified medical doctor with Michigander roots and a widely respected expert in CBD. Here to close us out for the day with our daily dose of truth, Dr. Mary Clifton. What you got for us today, Dr. Mary? Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday. I've got a, a great story originally out of Marijuana Moment and republished at cbdandcannabisinfo.com. Safe drug consumption sites decrease overdose risk and prevent public use, a study of the first sanctioned centers in NYC finds. This new study was published by the AMA and uh, released in the AMA's Journal of the Medical, um, of the AMA JAMA, that found that these first sanctioned drug sites, uh, when looked at data uh, from overdose centers from New York over the last year, over the course of two months, the trained staff at the site was able to intervene 125 times to mitigate overdose risk administering naloxone and oxygen and providing other services to prevent deaths. These uh, overdose sites have been were open for two months and this data in, in, involved a total of 613 people who utilized these harm reduction centers 5,975 times collectively between November 30th of 2021 and January 31st of 2022. At the top, the study demonstrates that there's demand for access to places where people can use illicit substance in a medically supervised environment without fear of criminal prosecution and that the sites can save lives. This isn't, these aren't the only sites, of course. There's sites in other countries and there's great data out of the Canadian consumption sites. So this data adds to existing data. Most of the visitors used heroin or fentanyl, 75% uh, uh, of them, and most, uh, two out of three, injected the drugs intravenously. Among those who utilized the harm reduction centers, three out of four said that they would have otherwise used these substances in a public or semi-public place. So not only are these services preventing overdose deaths, they're going to give people access to treatment resources, and they also appear to effectively deter public consumption activities and associated waste, like running across used syringes when you're walking your dog in Hell's Kitchen. In response to opioid-involved symptoms of overdose, naloxone was administered 19 times, oxygen 35 times, and respirations and blood oxygen levels required monitoring 26 times. In response to symptoms of overdose, the staff intervened a total of 45 times to de-escalate and provide hydration. And three participants required transport to the emergency department. But on top of that, over half of the people using the site received healthcare services, including counseling, naloxone, hepatitis C, and holistic services like auricular acupuncture. 
So the study concluded that data suggested that these consumption sites were associated with a decreased prevalence of public drug use. And additional evaluation will be done to look at health outcomes for, for participants, neighborhood level outcomes, including public drug use and drug related crime. So good news, a good preliminary news that matches the news coming from other companies about these uh, uh, um, sanctioned centers that started in NYC, both for reducing overdose risk and preventing public use. Thank you. I well, it isn't exactly about cannabis, but a lot of people who use cannabis use other products. And it's uh, and, it, and these overdose centers are, are so important because your you know supply can be unreliable. So sometimes when you're injecting uh, an injection drug user may take you know a certain amount and have the result they were looking for, but the next time their dosage might be a little more potent and all of a sudden they're in a little bit of trouble. And, and that's difficult to predict, you know, because the supply chain is obviously illicit and underground. So, uh, so these uh, centers really provide a lot of support for people who uh, who are using uh, um, illicit drugs. Yeah, you're 100 percent right on that, uh, Dr. Mary Clifton. I know back in San Francisco, when San Francisco is actually a town that humans could actually actually live in. Um, uh, we had a number of different uh, uh, weed farm reduction centers throughout San Francisco, and cannabis was one of uh, number one of our um, farm reduction treatments that we would use for serious addicts. And that way, they would be smoking cannabis instead of smoking crack. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's true too for people. A, a lot of people who are dealing with opioid addiction, I'd much rather they transition that addiction to cannabis. You know, because. It's not that we're trying to get people off all drugs in because in many cases, people that you're dealing with are the most harmed and the most sensitive people in our communities. So it's probably unrealistic that they're going to stop all, all drugs and live a sober life. So identifying something that is safer is, is important to you, Jason, and switching these people from opioids to uh, cannabis is a good goal. 100% couldn't agree with you more on that. The reality is that we people don't break into your cars and smash your windows and steal all your paperwork out of your glove box. That's all that crack and heroin. So addictive, so addictive, and so hard to stop without, and, you know, and, 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 without and so damaging, And so damaging to communities and families across this country, not just not just in our major cities, but even in our rural areas. It's just, it's heartbreaking. And now we have the whole fucking fentanyl fucking phase going on and that's just just ravaging uh these communities even more and these centers seem to help not only the public but the addict themselves because they you know allow treatment and give them the opportunity when they're ready to seek help the help is right there yeah i would love to see these centers proliferate and maybe in addition to everything else they're doing offer ketamine resources to try to reduce addiction and uh and offer transition to uh cannabis it's a it, it, it it's it's exciting it's a wonderful uh, a wonderful time that we're living in where we can accept that people need help and, and get them the help they need where they're at and how about we stop the disinformation from the top down to these safe consumption sites are saving 
lives. And I, you know, I know the memes are funny as fuck, and I love to troll myself and everything, but we got to stop with that shit. People are getting medicine, and we need to promote that. And, and, and data and the numbers don't lie on the, on, on the benefits, on the pot, on the upside of this shit. Well, well I, think, I think where we need to even focus more on this um, and, and, and kind of quell some of those some of those memes and whatnot is the reality of it is that by having these spaces means that there's going to be less drug addicts actually doing them in the streets. I mean, right. I can't tell you how many times I walk up and down Santa Monica Boulevard in West Hollywood and I see some fucking transient smoking a fucking meth pipe. I mean, we have to have a place for these people to, to do this so that it's out of the public view and children and other people aren't being subjected to the harms of it. Really true. The biggest risk that people feel about these things is sort of not in my neighborhood, you know, but you really have to put them in a neighborhood that is populated and that does have businesses so that people can slip out from work and uh, and go and use uh, what they're addicted to safely and then go back to their jobs, you know. Yep. Get the, NIMBY, get the NIMBYism out of here, right, Dr. Mary? Right. Well, what, what it really is is put these, put these clinics where drug addicts everything but beware right right so we are at the top of the hour and that was a great show and great positive note to end things on today dr mary thank you for that if you guys missed the show you can catch us anywhere you get your podcast we are back on the podcast trail so please subscribe and leave us a review big thank you to all the correspondents that come through all the headlines each day everybody on the state of cannabis uh, news hour team a big thank you to my co-host jason beck uh, uh d sugar copeland easily for co-producing the show and helping us keep the uh, clubhouse channel open uh thank you to the audience the most important part of our show keep the conversations going in the back and we will be launching the discord channel to have everything unified in one place momentarily going through the final tests over there you have had your daily dose now go out there and make a difference one more thing adam over in clubhouse hit us with the dm uh, we would like to have a little help on the back on the production side we are all volunteers here and um just spread a little thin right now so um hit a brother up any any final words for us today jason beck also to everyone if you could let your friends know, bring your friends uh, to this room and help bring the community back over here to their spaces. Let's do it. I can't play the music right now, but uh, it will be mixed into the podcast. <laughs> Rico. Yes, sir. Thank you, bye, Rico. Thank you, bye. It's Wednesday. It's hump day. It's fucking Wednesday. Goodbye, y'all. Goodbye. God damn it.